The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hare Krishna, you're listening to the Late Morning Program, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. I'm here with Jiva, who I've never met before, but I'm very honored to meet her today, uh, who is the leader of uh, the, uh, the creator and the leader of the Bhakti Recovery Group. Uh, and I'm just absolutely fascinated by your work. And the reason I just want to give the audience a little bit of background of why I brought Jiva on is that um, two devotees on separate occasions on the same day messaged me and said, you should have her on. So I thought that was a sign from Krishna to, to have her on. And I'm so excited to speak to you, Jiva, today. Hari Ball, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, thank you. Yeah. Um, so usually we just start out with um, how you got in contact with Krishna consciousness. But before that... Uh, your your upbringing, uh, where you grew up, and how that was, and what kind of led you to spirituality. Okay, that's a that's a a big a big question. Yeah. So I'll yeah. do my best to uh, answer that as authentically as I as I can. Um, I am a New York City kid. I was born and raised in Upper Manhattan, Upper West Side, and uh, both my parents. I come from a Jewish background, um, non-religious. So uh, religion was not really a topic in, in my family. Um, and uh, I, had a, I had a pretty rough childhood, I would say. Uh, wasn't, was a, yeah, I would say it wasn't very structured. I did not come from a structured family. Um, and I came from really a family of, of dysfunction. They were very dysfunctional. Um, I mean, they weren't like mean spirited. They were just dysfunctional. And, uh, so I was pretty much emotionally, um, and I would say spiritually on my own. So I just had to kind of figure that all out. And uh, in hindsight, uh, if I'm thinking about all those times, it's really prepared me to, um, to have a very deep um, spiritual longing, you know, because I didn't have much in the material world to keep me safe. You know, I never felt very safe, I would say. So yeah, um, that's kind of uh, a general, you know. And then how did you meet, uh, did you meet devotees or did you read book or how that ha how'd that happen? <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I was 14, um, around the time, when I was 14, I uh, actually, when my parents got divorced and um, my mom and my new stepfather uh, moved up to Westchester County, um, very kind of ritzy, richy kind of neighborhood. Um, and the whole family just did And it was very, very difficult for me to adjust to that kind of um, life. It, it was very, very strange for me to be up there. Um, never felt quite comfortable. Um, and so I was on the weekends. I was in the city every weekend with my dad. And I did not have a good relationship with my mother. She was also very, at the time, um, 
very depressed and uh, very busy. She was always busy. She was away. I'm pretty much alone. And um, believe it or not, our house was haunted. So uh, we lived in a house where uh, there was this famous mass murderer um, named uh, Albert Fish. I'm, I know this is so insane. Um, <laughs> it's totally. You lived, in, the, you lived in, the, in the in that house. I lived in the house it after where, him or something. Well, like, uh, like. He did that in the 20s and we lived okay. there in the 80s. So, oh, wow. Yeah. And every family who lived in there like went insane. So it's really, <laughs> and even there I was alone because, you know, I think my, my, my parents didn't want to say anything because they didn't want to scare me. But <laughs> I saw things every night and I heard things every night. And oh they gosh. just told me that I'm imagining it. So this was, this was really bad. But anyway, I just, you know, at that point, by the time I was 13, 14, um, I just couldn't take it anymore. So um, I was in the city on the weekend and I was hanging out. I was a punk rocker and I was hanging out on the Lower East Side. I was 14 and uh, I was at a friend's house. And I just, you know, for the last years, I dreaded on Sunday nights having to go back to Westchester. It was just like going back to, for me, like living hell, you know dysfunctional family, haunted house, like, you know, like people teasing me all the time, you know, calling me like freak or whatever it was. And I just, I just, I called my mom and I said, I'm not going to school tomorrow. I'm not coming home to go to school tomorrow. And she just said simply, you either come home and go to school tomorrow or you just don't come home at all. Wow. So I said, great. Bye bye, and I just didn't come home. <laughs> wow. And uh, yeah, and so I just was was on the street, Lori side, just Tompkins Square Park. <laughs> oh yeah. So I'm getting to your question about how I got to Christian sure. consciousness. Sure, sure. Um, every Saturday, there was it changed from Saturday to Sunday at, at one point, but there was like this uh, hardcore matinee. It was at CBGB's. And it was like all ages. It was an afternoon. And above this club, there was a, a, a homeless shelter. And the Krishnas would come and serve prasad right in front of Seabees. And I got prasad. And everyone would say, don't eat that. Don't eat that food. It's got saltpeter in it. They have stuff to make it so that you, you know, are yeah not that you're sterile as a man i'm like well i'm not a man and i just didn't <laughs> care what anyone said and i ate it i loved it right and i got a bhagavad gita i was 13 14 in that around that age and i took it home and i had no i loved it i loved the i was fascinated fascinated with the pictures fascinated with everything and i loved the Hare krishnas i thought they were so great and all the de devotees were just, I mean, I didn't, I didn't know the, the language devotees back then. For me, it was like they were the Hari Krishnas. I didn't know anything else. And I just, I just really found them very empathetic when I first got in contact with Nagita at all. So it just didn't, it just didn't. And I don't know if you know, but did you know that a lot of, a lot of kids back then in the hardcore scene, they joined the movement. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. And so I had some friends who would just join the movement. It was just always around me. 
mm. you know, and um, Kastuba, he, uh, he have known each other since I was 13 and he was really, yeah. And, and oh, he wow. was 15 and he like just disappeared from the scene and everyone was like, yeah, he's a monk now. And I was like, oh, okay, that's cool. You know, and uh, I hadn't seen him in so long. I hadn't seen him in years um, until later. And that comes later in the deal. Sure. Um, but he was like the first. And then there was like Eric from, you know, uh, from the Cro-Mags. He like, he joined. And I remember when he came back from the ashram, I remember uh, it was just you know, the Cro-Mags, that whole thing. It, that wasn't really my scene of people, but um I didn't hang out with them all the time or anything, but it was mm -hmm. pretty, yeah, it was, it was pretty there in the, in the scene. It was like a part of the hardcore culture, you right. know, being to Krishna consciousness, you know, and it wasn't the, the, the time I tried to read a Gita, you know, I think throughout my life I did. Mm -hmm. So, so finally when I, uh, how I got into spirituality, I always seeked, I was always on the, on the, I was always seeking, just seeking something. And, uh, I was into, I did, I did so many, I looked at so many things and did so many things. And, um, by the time I was, uh, I, I got into, by the time I was 19, I started doing heroin and, uh, I really got messed up and, uh, I spent a lot of years just deep in the clutches of Maya in the darkest de demonic like frame of mind that, you know, that, that existed in my, my world, you know, just being, you know, the bondage of self, the bondage of, you know, this addiction, this, this, you know, horrible Tomasic addiction, you know, and life didn't make sense anymore. It just didn't make any sense. And uh, just, you know, I would just wake up and get the drugs. It's a 24-hour job. You know, you wake up, you get the drugs, you hustle, you do this, you do that. And then, you know, then you have the drugs and that's it. And then it goes on and on. You do the same thing over and over every every day, every morning. Where were you living at the time? Mm -hmm. Different places. I was in California for a while. I was in Philly for a while. In New York, I I constantly tried to run away from myself, you know, try to run away from my addictions. We call it, you know, like a, a geographic cure, you know, like, right. like <laughs> yeah. I'll go to California and, you know, the bad, the bad Jiva is going to stay in New York and, you know, the good Jiva is going to be, you know, just right. doesn't work out that way. <laughs> Not really, because no matter where you go, there you are. Mm -hmm. So yeah, um, so I uh, I eventually I I was in the music scene as well, and I was playing in some bands. And a friend of mine's uh, European tour management came to New York. I was I would say about twenty at the time, and uh, twenty one perhaps. And um, I just got to know all these Berliners. And um, they invited me to go to Berlin. And I went to Berlin and I stayed clean from heroin for like a year. 
And then I didn't <laughs> because yeah. I came back. And um, I spent until I was 28, I would say the last 10 years of my addiction, all I tried to do was stop. So it was a constant fight, a constant fight, a fight of myself, like the battle of like, you know, like a serious battle, you know, and um, when I moved to Berlin, so I can explain to you my bottom because we don't have to go through all the other stuff, but my bottom, that's a really uh, important key. Sure. Yeah. So, um, so I was, all right, let me just rewind. I was clean. Then I wasn't. And then I was clean again. And then I got pregnant with my daughter's father. He was, and he was from Berlin. So we were in Berlin and I had a beautiful baby girl and uh, I was clean for the first two years of her life. And uh, I was, when I was, I don't know what it's called in English anymore. When, when I stopped nursing, when I stopped nursing her, mm -hmm. um, the disease came back, you know, we have this disease, this addiction. I have an addiction and addictions are very tricky. It's like Maya. It's like right now we're talking about this, you know, or if I'm a temple or if I'm at a doctor recovery group, meeting my disease and Maya are doing push-ups right outside the door. So wow. it's, it's really like that. And so it's really important to know that a disease is, it's not something that just goes away because you wish it away. There's a lot of works to be done and the work always starts with surrender. So, so I made a big mess of all of that. My the father of my daughter, by the time she was three, he said, uh, if you don't get clean, then I'm going to take custody. Because he found out that I had been relapsing. Um, and so I went to this, uh, I went to a, uh, a rehab. And um, I relapsed. And then he took the custody away. And this was probably the most painful, one of the most painful times in my life. And I'm, and I, and I say this now and you will know why I'm saying this. I'm so grateful for all of this. I'm more than grateful for ever happened to me. Like Queen Kunti, like the prayers of Queen Kunti. Yeah. And so I spent, this was like October, November when that happened. So I spent the holiday seasons on the streets, living here and there, trying to get drugs. My addiction had never been so bad. It was so, so bad. My addiction had never been that bad. I started introducing cocaine to the mix. So I was shooting up heroin and cocaine. I was needing about four or 500 bucks a day just to get through the day. Four or $500 a day. A day. Wow. A day. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it was like serious. I was in bones, uh, just a wreck. And, um, you know, 
<laughs> so all this time went by. I was lamenting about losing the custody of my daughter, feeling gut-wrenching guilt and gut-wrenching pain because I it was the holiday season. I didn't have my daughter. I didn't, you know, I messed up as a mother, um, horrible person, the worst person on earth, you know, worse than anything ever. And just, it was so horrible. And just trying to drink it and drug it away, trying to just forget it because I couldn't change it at the moment. And, um, and then he said, and then I got in touch with him one day and he said, look, if you have a few months clean, you can see her again. And that was like the beginning of a motivation for me. And uh, so there was just one day and I was living in this, like uh, in Germany, it's a bit better. It's not like in America where if you're screwed, you know, you're on the street in Germany, you get like, you give you like little apartments right. to stay in and stuff. So I had this little teeny apartment um, in a really horrible area, but it didn't matter. It was like my little apartment and I shared it with somebody and um, we decided to go out and uh, I was hungry. I didn't really have any food. So we decided to go to the supermarket and I stole some cookies. And then the guy, the guy who I was staying with, he decided to steal some whiskey so that we could sell it so that we can get drugs. And when we were leaving the store, um, we got caught. He had his passport. When you steal food in Germany, they, they don't arrest you. You can just get like a fine. You, do, you don't really do that if you can show who you are. But if you don't have any ID, then they take you. So they took me because I didn't have my ID with me. Right. So I'm, I'm in jail and I'm getting seriously dope sick, which means I'm starting to get this withdrawal, you know, symptoms, shaking, sweating, um, hurting. And it was like one of those days, it was February. And it was one of those days where it was totally warm like really warm, literally like 60 degrees. And I just had this like long sleeve t-shirt on and like some little vest. And, um, and then by the time I was in jail, they released me, they found out who I was and they released me. It was like the middle of the night and it was snowing. And I couldn't go back to the apartment Another story. So I went to this place where um, now this is I'm a, a little reluctant to say all this, but I'm just going to come out and this is my story and right. I stick with my story. Right. So there's a place where I used to hustle. And I would, you know, I, I would prostitute myself at this, you know, um, on this one specific street. And, um, so I went down there to see if I can get some money, if I can get whatever. And it was dead. Um, no, actually I have to back up. I have to back up. I forgot one really important part. Sure. So I get on the train or I get on the platform and I wait for the train. And I'm like, just like, I got to get to the street. I really got to get something. And this guy had this this guy was standing on the platform and I asked him for a cigarette 
And he was like, yeah, sure. And he was a cigarette. I was smoking. The train came right at that moment. And it was like the trains were completely empty. And I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to smoke on the train. So I'm smoking on the train. And some some German guy, some weird German guy was like drunk or something. He was like, you can't smoke on the train. And he came up to me like really aggressively. And I'm like, I don't know. I start arguing with him, whatever. And then he just hauls off and smacks me. And I was like, what the heck? And then there was these two other guys on the train and they just jumped up. They're like, Hey man, what are you doing? You know? And it just, it was just like this craziness. And my head was, I'm only saying this because if you can understand how my head was at that moment, it was reeling, reeling everything. I just got arrested. I want my daughter back. It's cold. I only have this. I can't go back to the apartment. I've lost my passport. I don't have, I don't know what's going on. And then this happens and I'm just going out of my mind. And I just like, the next stop, I just left the train and I walked to that street and it, that's when it started to snow. The streets were completely empty. And when I got to the street, I looked down on the street and I stood there. I don't know for how long. And I saw there was like this, it's a very straight street. And then there's all these lights, street lights. And you see all the snow coming in the, in the, in those little, you know, in the, in the, in the rays of the, of the light, you see the snow falling, little flakes falling. I know exactly and, what you're talking about. Yes. And the whole street was just frosted, just like lightly frosted with, with, with snow. And it was quite beautiful. And, and I stood there just, I don't know why I stood there, but I just stood there and I looked and I looked. And at that moment, I knew I can't do this anymore. I just said to myself, this can't be the rest of my life. This just cannot be the rest of my life. I can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I turned around and I went to a phone booth and I made a collect call to my dad in New York. And I said, dad, I have to come home. I have to get clean. And back then, you know, it wasn't like we didn't have like all this. You had to like book planes and it was took about four or five days. <laughs> During that four or five days, I had to find somewhere to go. And um, so I had friends still, you know, and I could crash here and crash there and do this. Um, but on that one night, I was so ashamed about everything. I just, I couldn't really face any of my old friends because most of my old friends, they don't, you know, they were like, whatever, they would drink their beer or whatever, but they never had anything to do with that. And I never really wanted to bring that kind of lifestyle into theirs. Mm. I kind of always, I just separated myself. I'm like one of those animals wounded. You know, I go into the woods. I just, I don't really want to involve any nice people right. in, in a mess like that. So um, that next morning, and I, to this day, I don't remember what happened after that or where I went or how I got to where I was going. I just, the next thing, my next memory that I have is in the morning and I'm in another dope spot, um, just waiting because I have to wean myself off a little bit before I go to New York. Um, and this random guy comes up to me and he's like, do you need something? And I was like, yeah, but I don't have any money. And he was like, well, if you sell for me, I'll give you something. And I was like, okay. And then we got to talk and then he was like, you know, 
you are so skinny. It's like not, not healthy. Like you need to eat something. And I was like, okay. And he was like, here. And at I was still a vegetarian at the time. So I'm like, he's like, what? you're chunky and a vegetarian. Why are you? But, <laughs> and so, so this guy kind of dodgy, you know, this, he's a drug dealer. So, you know, I'm figuring like, okay, you know, I might've trust this guy. Um, and then he said, where are you going? Then afterwards I was like, I'm just waiting. And I told him the story. I told him what happened. And I said, I'm waiting for a ticket from my dad. And he said, well, then you can stay with me. And I'm like, yeah, right. What do you want from me for me to stay with you? And he was like, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to give you half of what you usually take and we're going to put you down and you're not getting any Coke. And I'm just going to, and you don't have to pay for it. He's just going to do it. And I was like, oh God, okay, here we go. Maybe not money, but he wants something else. Hmm. But <laughs> it was so funny. He, he, he was, he, he was, he was, uh, I don't know. I think from, uh, he was Arab, but I don't know where from. Uh, and um, so I decided for some reason to trust him. And I went back to his apartment and there was all these guys there and I got totally scared. I was like, okay, so there's like six Arab guys speaking Arabic, sitting on the floor eating. And I was like, oh God, oh God, like I'm going to die. And then they said like, oh, hello, come, welcome, sit. And I was like, okay. And then it turns out they're all students, like going to university. They all live there. Some of them are like cousins and they were super nice and uh, they really helped me in those four days. They really helped me. They never want anything for me, nothing. And just, they fed me every day. They brought me a falafel every day. Eat it, eat it, eat this falafel. You're so skinny, go on, eat it, eat it, eat it. And uh, yeah, and then I flew to New York and uh, I did the rest of my detox on the couch of my dad's house. And, um, <laughs> and then I, uh, I started going to NA, Narcotics Anonymous, and um, Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's where I slowly got into my spiritual life. Um, at first, it was uh, very approachable through physics. So I read things like the Tao of Physics and um, uh, dancing wooly masters certain certain books that were that that were like you know quantum physics and spirituality for dummies right and so i uh that what, kind of what interested you about the physics part well because i always i just it was the science right it was oh, the science it was the science and not not the not the intellectual science it was the tangible science i see even though quantum physics is not really tangible but it is in a certain way and i always saw the correlation between certain physics and mathematic numbers also just with spirituality it just made sense to me just clicked and made a lot of sense right so you know as it progressed i became very very god conscious and I became very, very, I would say, I was very militant about my program. This was in 1997. So, you know, in the 12 steps, we have, you know, 
I admit that I'm powerless over my addiction. That's the first step. And my life has become unmanageable. And then we have the second step. And that's, I came to believe that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. So after surrendering, and I surrendered only because I was beaten into submission. I, you know, me and my self-will and in my tamasic nature, I just left a battlefield of blood, guts, and broken bones behind me and crawled, crawled, you know, begging to help me. Yeah. Wow. The second step was for me, the hugest spiritual experience that I've ever had, God experience, really knowing that there's a power greater than myself and that power can restore me to sanity. Yeah. And what does sanity mean? What does sanity mean? Right. Sanity for me is, you know, if we're looking at Krishna consciousness, sanity is Krishna consciousness. Sanity is, is, you know, not as knowing, you know, when you're sane, you know that there's Maya and there's Krishna consciousness. Yeah. And so all these things, it was a very slow, I'm very slow in all this kind of stuff, but when I get it, I'm in and I'm obsessed like an addict. And I'm an addict for Krishna consciousness and for recovery. So I'm just like, you know, I'm going to go for it. So, um, and the third step is, you know, we, um, we gave our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understand God. Now that's something, you know, all of these steps are not a one and done. Each step has a thousand layers like an onion. So yes, I've surrendered a hundred percent fully surrendered soul to the fact that I cannot use drugs and alcohol. I know this 100% and Krishna took that away from me, the obsession to use. I don't have that anymore. So knowing this <laughs> is so empowering to know that you're powerless. It doesn't mean you're helpless. This is what a lot of people don't understand. There's a difference between being powerless and being helpless. Interesting. I don't know the difference. Okay. So the difference is this. This is how I always look at it. You're standing. So you're standing on the beach and you see in the distance, there is a tidal wave coming. So you know for sure that this tidal wave is coming and you know for sure that if you're on that beach, it's done. You're going on to your next life right? Yeah. <laughs> so a logical person would say, okay, I'm going to get out the Dodge and I'm going. So that's where you're not helpless. You're not helpless. You know that it's coming. So you need to go and you need to get out of there. So there's a big difference. You're powerless over that tidal wave. You can't say, okay, <laughs> that's the tidal wave. No, no, no. But you can do things to get out of the way. And being an addict is and fighting against my addiction is like thinking I can fight against the tidal wave or I'll just surf it, you know, or whatever. Right. It's, we, we are not sane when we are in an addiction, you know, we're in that tamasic demonic world, you know? And, you know, I always thought that I was very connected, but I was so ignorant, so ignorant. 
so horribly ignorant and I'm still ignorant. I still, you know, I can only hope every single day that I can stay at the lotus feet of Krishna because that is my only hope in life. That's the only hope that I have. There is none other, not for me. Surrender and service. Right. So you said that you were, I interrupted you when you were saying about the physics thing, you got into that. Yeah. Um, and then, and then what happened after that in the sense of leading you up to Krishna consciousness again? Right. Okay. So I spent, <sighs> so after being a year and a half sober and clean, I met my husband, my first husband, and um, he was also clean and sober, also in the program. And you got clean through NA and AA? Yeah, okay. only NA and AA. Okay. And But I was deeply spiritual and deeply believed in God. I just didn't have a name. Right. I was deeply surrendered. And I knew because, you know, basically the 12 steps of any of the programs is the absolute essence of bhakti. We'll Without, get into that for sure. Yeah, the yeah. from BRGs, the 12 steps that you have written. Yes. So, um, what was the question again? Sorry, I just got like how you uh, how you went from um, you know getting interested in the physics oh, right. and all that stuff, and then how you came to Krishna consciousness. Yes. Okay. So this is where this is where it all really kind of started. So I was with this man for 16 years, um, and because I'm an addict, I'm also a codependent, and I am also um, an adult child of dysfunction have that too at the bhakti recovery group we don't just deal with addicts and alcoholics we help we are all there to help each other from people who come from dysfunctional families people who have been molested as a child people who are um, struggling so hard against maya or their compulsions you know it's all in there it's all in there wow. so um so i married a narcissist and this was like i don't know these days they throw words around like this all the time like diagnosing he's a narcissist or it's like a really like a modern term these days right. um but i do have to say he was diagnosed as a narcissist 30 years ago oh wow so it's not like i'm not jumping on any bandwagon it's not like he was a true narcissist which is neither here nor there that's his karma that's what he has to deal with uh, why was I there? <laughs> and why did I let the things happen? Why did I let myself, you know, I don't blame him. He's going to be that. I can't change him. It's the same thing. I'm powerless over him, but I'm not helpless, but I was for a long time mm. until I wasn't. And when I finally, um, hit bottom in codependency, can you tell, can you tell us a little bit about codependency and what that means? Sure. So, Codependent is basically, I can tell you what it is for me. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So for me, codependency is when what happens to me if I am in a codependent relationship is that I don't really even know who I am anymore. Mm. I basically give the responsibility of, de of, of tough decisions. I give the responsibility of my emotions to the other person. Right. I also re 
resent them. So it's a real double-sided sword for it because so I'm the woman, they're the man in the relationship. And, you know, I don't make at one point I wasn't making any of my own decisions. I always checked with him and if he didn't like it, he would terrorize me until I changed my mind. And then I just didn't do it anymore. I just didn't, it became so dysfunctional, like almost like father and daughter, you know, Oh, I see. always like this. It was not an even relationship. Mm -hmm. And the codependency for me was um, a lot of things. One is being addicted to a sick relationship. You just become addicted to that relationship. Um, I lost myself completely. And I called it flexibility. I'm like, I'm cool. I'm flexible. And I am flexible. But the difference between being flexible and being codependent, right. you know? And so at some point, I, I just, you know, I just always giving him, you know, the responsibility. You know, he wanted the responsibility. I gave him the responsibility. And he got pissed at me for because he's always having the responsibility. And I got pissed at him because he's always taking the responsibility. And it's just this cycle. You know, um, it gets really disgusting at some point. It gets very petty and disgusting. I held on to my program really, really, really hard during those years. Um, I always tried to look at my side of things. And this was what, this was difficult because I was with somebody who gaslighted me a lot. So even if I was infuriated, I would try to find my part in it to the point of it being almost like abusive, you know, like he would do something wrong and I'd be like, okay, well, I did this wrong because blah, 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 you know, and, um, you know, I didn't know how to live a normal life at that point. Right. I had no idea. I was like, what do normal people do? I left school when I was like in ninth grade. I hated school. I hated it. So you're dealing with the addiction, controlling the addiction through the programs, but then you had this other side of things with your relationship that was str a struggle as well. Yes. Wow. And, and so this is the thing, and this is, and this is, this is the seed of addiction, dysfunction, obsessive behavior. It's all the same. It's all under the same umbrella. Mm -hmm. It's a whack-a-mole. So like I said, I, I'm completely surrendered to drugs and alcohol. I'm completely surrendered in that way. I've given my life to God in that way. I've given my life to Krishna in that way. But there are hundreds of layers of right. everything. And it has to go all the way back. And it probably goes all the way back to my past lives. Right. I'm carrying a lot. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity to burn this karma off, you know? Mm -hmm. So, okay. So I divorced this man. After 17 years, the hardest decision of my entire life. Wow. Because it was like swim or die. Like, because I got so depressed. I, I started to, because of our relationship and because, no, not because of our relationship, because my inability to be able to find myself, stand my ground, because of my inability to be able to be strong enough to do that during that relationship, um, I, 
started to develop um, obsessive compulsive disorders. I was cleaning the toilets five times a day. I was cleaning my hands. I was like, you could eat off my floors. It was just like, just insane. Like nothing could be out of place. And um, I started getting really weird, obsessive thoughts. Like, I don't know, like what would happen? Like, like, Oh God, this is so weird. I've never said this to anybody actually. And I'm going to tell this now <laughs> to like everybody. <laughs> I used to say you, you when you're saying that you're like all in on something, like when you do it, this is the, this is the, uh, you this know, is the all in, yeah. this is the all in. <laughs> so, so I had these thoughts of like picking up scissors or pens and just stabbing myself in the, in the, in the neck with it. Like, I know that sounds so sick. I know you're probably like, oh my God, who do I have here on my no, no. podcast? What you're telling me is is like absolutely fascinating. And now we're going into, you know, who you are today. And, and that story is just so valuable. I think a lot of devotees can be, you know, people might be suffering in, in, in silence, you know, and they hear this story and they're like, this is exactly what I need to hear and how I can get help and et cetera, it, going into the BRG and all that stuff. But yeah, please continue. It's really, I'm at the edge of my seat here. <laughs> oh, okay, great, great, great. Um, so you were so, obsessive compulsive, you've developed obsessive compulsive things. Yeah, and like, yeah, the weirdest one was the, the shower in the bathtub. Like, if I even touched, like, like a shower curtain was like not you like don't even talk about a shower curtain that would never come in my house like no curtains that would stick on my skin during the shower i would be like ah, like freak out you know i'm still a little bit like that i don't like that kind of stuff but um in the bathtub like bleach ajax like three three kinds of cleaning if i would sit in a bathtub right but it's at one point i just stopped i couldn't sit in a bathtub because I just, anything with like water and germs was like, hmm. so, um, you know, I started, I really denied, I stunted my own growth and I denied myself a chance of finding out who am I? Who am I? Who am I without the drugs? Who am I without my past? Who am I with without this man, without my children? What's my identity? Who am I? What do I want? I was lost, just lost. Because it was easier for me to fall in love with love than to honestly work on that part of my disease. I did work on that part of my disease with the drugs and alcohol but not with the relationships. Mm. So it was frightening. It was so frightening to get a divorce because I didn't know who I was. No idea. And I fell into the deepest depression, never had a depression in my life. I didn't even know what depression was. And I just saw it at my mom with my mom and other people. And I always thought like, oh, come on, pull yourself together. You know, you don't have to be depressed. Like, you know, like that's ridiculous. And, um, so arrogant, you know, so arrogant. And uh, I fell into a deep, deep, deep depression. I lost faith in God. I lost faith in the world. I lost faith in myself. And I wanted to die. 
and I stopped going to meetings because I made it personal. I made it personal. And this is what we say in the meetings is principles before personalities. And this is so true. You know, once we start in German, we have a great expression. It's called Menschen, which means like it's getting very human around here, which means you start to forget like why you're here, what you're doing. You start to get involved in the, in the, in the emotional part of things, you know, and, and sometimes that's not very helpful. So, so I, um, so I, where was I now? I just lost my track. What, what did I say before? You had, you had got into depression, then you lost faith. Oh, right. in yes. Right. And, um, I, uh, I was playing music. That was about the only thing that got me out of bed really. Um, and my son and I was such a good fake. I mean, I can just be like with my son and I have a, a son as well. Oh, wow. And he's 16. He's so amazing. It's super brilliant. I love this kid. Um, and, um, he's like a little yogi. So, um, I was suffering. I was planning my, my, my suicide. I was planning how I was going to do it. And I was completely convinced that everyone in this family and everyone in this world would be way better off without me. I'm just a pain in the ass. Excuse my language. Sorry. Okay. I'm just a pain in the butt for everybody. You know, uh, they don't need to deal with me. And my poor kid, he's going to have that stupid depressed mother like I did. And, 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 and this was like the conversations, the committee in my head was just so loud. Um, and so I, I, my band member who was also my partner, cause this was like about a year after we had split up my husband and I, um, stuck with me throughout all of this. Um, I'm to this day, so grateful for him. Um, Radhana Swami married us fast forward right yes really so yeah um yeah. so he, <laughs> so oh he didn't marry us he was at our wedding mm -hmm. and he blessed it so right um so yeah so i didn't know what to do i didn't know what to do anymore and with the last bit of shimmering hope that i had um, I reached out to Kastuba because I kept thinking of the Gita. I didn't have one, but I kept thinking of it. Kept thinking. And so I reached out to Kastuba. I didn't really tell him how depressed I was, um, but I just reached out to him. Tell him a bit of the predicament that I was in and that I wasn't doing great. Um, and, uh, he made a commitment to meet with me online and we would every, every, every week, once a week, um, uh, and we would study the Gita get together. Wow. Did you know, did you know him? I know, I know you knew him from when you were young, but like, do you, did you lose touch with him? Yes. Yes. And so you just out of the we blue. We had some was... contact on Facebook. Oh, I see on the Facebook. Okay. Right. Yeah. And and I had seen when I'd written him, written him that I also wrote him in tw in 2012, 
or 2010 or something and said like, Hey, I have a Gita and it's really kind of cool or whatever. I don't know. We just said something back and forth and that was it. And then <laughs> fast forwarding, I went back and I was like, okay, so now I'm ready. Wow. Because if I, because for me, it was like this, if this doesn't make sense to me and I begged, I, I didn't call him Krishna at the time. I called him God. And I said, God, you better show yourself to me now. If you do not show yourself to me, if this doesn't make sense to me, I'm out. I'm out. And then all this crazy stuff happened. Like all these like miracles happened. It was so amazing. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> tell me, tell please, me. Please. So, so you talked to Kastuba, you did you did weekly Bhagavad Gita classes. Yes. And we did weekly Bhagavad Gita. And he kept like saying, like, you have to listen to this guru. And I'm like, oh no, I don't want to deal with any of that. Like, like I was just like, no, I'm not dealing with this guru. Not right now. No, I don't want to deal with any of that right now. And, uh, but then I did, you know, it, it, it just, I just kind of got into it. And that was like an incredible story too, how that happened. That was like, that was just like insane, insanity. So, um, so, <laughs> so basically, um, I, um, decided that, okay, I have to do something else as well. So why not do some yoga as well? Just because I needed some physical whatever and it seemed to be okay, whatever. And I said, but I'm not ever going to one of those like sports studio, like, you know, yoga, like, <laughs> like that's not my thing, you know? So I was like, all right, let me Google and let me go like to the second page of Google and see what I can find. Because usually, <laughs> the top, you know, I love that. <laughs> yeah, the second page of Google because you get sometimes it's like you get those gems you know yeah of course i totally know what you're talking about yeah. yeah so so i was like all right and then i found this guy and his name was uh michel that's michael in german mm -hmm. and he was like and and he was like yeah i do it um from my living room you know and we do some ashtanga yoga and i was like all right cool and i was really really excited about this and i thought wow you know it's going to be like the whole yoga's philosophy too and it's going to be all this stuff and it was on a tuesday evening and so i i said to krishna i said krishna i said god please god please let this be something that's going to be conducive to my you know to my well-being please let this be something that i can hang on to you know, in these times of horrible trouble. So I get buzzed up to his house. I walk in and there's a huge picture of Prabhupada and he was a devotee. What? <laughs> and it's like in Munich, okay? They're like, it's like, there's like, like what are the chances of that, right? Wow. He was a devotee and he had like a whole like, like all the, there were a bunch of brahmacharis living there. He had a bunch of roommates. There was brahmacharis. He had all the books. Like he had a whole book that you can just like buy books there. Right. And so what started, I was like, I said, are you a devotee? And then he was like, yeah. Do you know about <laughs> Krishna consciousness? I was like, well, just a little bit. And then I just told him and he was like, wow. So from that day on, I would come early to the yoga class, an hour and a half, and we would study a little bit and do some kirtan. Wow. 
What's his What's his full name? Um, Mishael. I don't know. Now his name is Mahaman. He's, Mahaman. He's okay. Because I've been to Munich. I went to Munich with uh, when Raghunath and Sachinandan Swami had a um, had a kirtan had a yoga uh, retreat in Munich. It was really? like two thousand. Yeah, two thousand and. Um, 16 maybe or 17 and i and raghunath was there such swami janavi goravani and we went to some person's house in munich who's a famous yoga teacher tall guy. oh you oh yeah you went to um to um <clears throat> um oh come on can't remember his name i, I, I anyway I, he I, i'm thinking of i'm thinking of that great because guy. Of, yeah really yeah nice, really nice really yeah nice guy. yeah anyways yeah and then so you so you met with him and then you started going there and and they, there were devo devotees there yeah and and then i was like okay this is very clear you know like and every time like i prayed about something it just thing krishna conscious would just pop up and wow. so i just just really just dealt i just delved into it I delved into the yoga I delved into the into you know reading and and all this stuff and because was like come to new york come to India. Like for so yeah, come to India. And I was like, nah, man, I'm not going to India. Not yet. You know, like, like, uh, I got this to do and that to do. And then like another year went by and then he was like, come to India. And I was like, I can't man. And then he was like, well then come to New York. Cause I want you to meet somebody. And I was like, okay, who okay. And he was like, look, Radhana Swami is going to be there and you have to meet him you have to meet him. And I was like, okay, bet. I was totally ready. I was like, great. And I swear it was like a fairy tale. Everything was like a fairy tale. I like, I still think of it as this like magical moment, like this magical time. So I, um, when I arrived in New York, it was just like, went right to the Bhakti center and all of these people were so warm and welcoming. They were like, you're Chiva. I've heard so much about you. And, and they just, they treated me with, I'd never been treated like that before. And everything was just totally easy. It was like, okay, so this is the deal. This is what we're going to do. So Tuesday, we're going to do this. Wednesday, this, da, 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 da. the whole thing was planned. I, I just did everything he said. Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, I just did, I was like, I'll do everything. You know, he's like, yeah, then we're going to go to DC to this guy, Gauravati's house. And Radha Swami will also be there. And so I got like, <laughs> like I got this like Darshan with wow. Maharaj, right? right? And uh, when we had Darshan at the Bhakti Center, he had told, I had told him that I was doing this kind of Bhakti recovery thing. I was trying to do this AA meeting thing mixed with some, some Bhakti yoga. And he was like, and he said, oh my, he was like, that's been my dream for years and years and years. I want this to happen. I just want this to happen. This is something I've been wishing for. And I said, okay. And he was like, okay. Um, I said, so what should I do? He was like, just keep going. If Krishna blesses it, that's going to happen. And um, so. That's amazing that he said that he wanted to do something like that. Yes, this was really, very interesting. dream. But this is I, this is why Kastuba got us together, and I think oh. this is what this was the thing. And so I mean, I think I'll ask him, or if he watched this, then he might tell me then. 
um so yeah so so um while having darshan with him i felt i was so nervous so nervous i was sweating my palms were sweating i didn't know how to act and every time around him, I'm totally flabbergasted. I'm always like, bleh, bleh, bleh. I'm like, I'm not like the most confident person, but I'm sitting around him. I'm like, <laughs> do the stupidest things, say the stupidest things. And I'm like, oh God, why did I do that? <laughs> um, so yeah. And, and we did the, you know, we went to Garbani's house and we did that. And it was just this magical time. And then, and it was just, it was just amazing. It was just an amazing magical time. And it was if every door, it was not even like there was no work involved. It was just kind of like doors just open. And I just sort of like, whoop, whoop, whoop. I felt like, you know, like one of those like Disney things where like the birds are chipping yeah. and the woman's like, ha, 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 ha. that's like, <laughs> <laughs> kind of felt like that. Just like, Phew. yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, and that's how I got it. That's really when it started. Then you've just been connected ever since to the, um, you know, what's what's your connection there with wisdoms of sages? Because I know uh, the uh, the reason I also, uh, when devotees contact me about you, I was like, oh, I did see something about Bhakti Recovery Group on yes. wisdom of the sages. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so also Kastuba was very much wanting me to, to get in touch with Raghu and... Um, and um, he said, like, yeah, he does these, you know, Bhagavatam classes on online. And I was very fixated on Kastuba. I was like, no, I, I really don't, like, I need, like, right now just one person. Right. And I just, I didn't do it for, like, a year. And then, and then when Kastuba joined and started doing it together, then I started to regularly come. Right. Grew to love Raghu very, very much. And... Um, so the pandemic hit. Oh, this is and um, at some point Raghu was on the show and he was like, you know, we really should have some sort of like bhakti recovery thing, you know. And I was like, I already have one, but dude, like maybe like Zoom, you know. And I was like, I'll do it, man. I'll do it. And then it just started from there, and you know, we've got like our. It started just like what three years ago now? The pandemic started three years ago, so it's three yeah, years, yeah. three years in the uh, running. Um, but you said you yeah. were doing it in the sense of like, did you have other people who are a part of it already before that? No, not really. I had other people who were in AA and NA who were a little curious in, uh, with yoga, oh, and I, I tried see, to I kind see. of mix the, the bhakti, but it wasn't working, okay. it wasn't working, it just wasn't working. Oh, interesting. And, uh, and the idea was there. This is what I wanted to do, you know. And Kastuba was very, very, said some very simple, profound things to me that made me think, you know. He was like, look, Jiva, I know you don't have, you know, because I was like, like, who am I? I'm just a stupid kid from New York. You know, I don't, you know, who am I to do something, you know. <laughs> and he was like, are you kidding me? He was like, you've been in recovery for 20, like I've, I've been in the program for 32 years. 25 years I've been sober and clean and wow. and I've yeah. worked that program. I can read all the books and I memorize that, you know, I'm, it's in my head. It's, it's deeply rooted in my being. And he was like, and that's your university, Jiva. That's your college. Right. You know, 
Let's talk about what it is. Uh, sure. In the sense of um, the first of all, what it is, and then what is the difference between that and like AA or NA? Okay. So, um, so I found a need to deepen. For me, it it, it started with my need. Right. It started with my need for two things, three things, my need to serve others, my need to deepen my own spiritual practices, right? And my need to have a sadhu sangha. Um, I, you know, Bhakti Center is 3,000 miles from here. Don't. I didn't have, you know, very good experiences here in Munich at the temple. Right. And generally I don't have great experiences at temples. Um, I find, I find, I feel awkward inside a temple often. Um, not because anyone, I, it's no, I'm not insulting or never do something like that. Disrespect anyone. I just, I don't feel quite comfortable. Right. Some people just don't, it's like a, connection sometimes is not there for everyone yeah. yeah yeah absolutely so you know and i'm also kind of a person like if it's not here i'll do i'll make it you know if if i can't get it i'll make it that's okay. just always been like my my thing it's like why doesn't somebody make this i'm like i'll do it you know like <laughs> i'll just do it you know yeah. um so those were the needs that i had and also because guru said it right mm. do this yeah and uh and i forgot your question <laughs> uh the difference between just introducing uh bhakti recovery group what it is and as well yeah. how is it different from just normal aa and NA? okay so at a regular naa meeting sa meeting which is sex anonymous um or SLA meeting, which is like Sex and Love Anonymous or Adult Children. I mean, we, there's a meeting for everything, right? There's 12 steps for, for just about everything. And they're all very special interest-y, right? So if you go to an NA meeting, you're a drug addict, a recovering drug addict. If you go to AA, you're a recovering alcoholic. Um, and there's a, a, a general spiritual program. Um, but there's no specifics. It's all very, it's like a Unitarian style type of deal. Um, we don't share about who our God is. We don't share about that kind of stuff. Um, and I found the need to, to say who my God is and to, you know, to be able to relate to someone, another recovering person who's a, who's a devotee, you know? I mean, that's so, so important because that is the art, you know? that's the heart of the program is the love and it's the love for Krishna, you know, the love for Krishna yeah. and the, the deep desire to surrender and serve. This mm -hmm. is really what it's about. So AA and NA. So it's very, it's a very complex question. Um, because I would have to explain to you what NA and AA is, but if I can I don't really just do that, I think I think you I think what yeah. your point is that it was AA is kind of more secular. There's not so much God yes. 
um, you know, specific, specific things yeah. mentioned, but I think BRG is probably the opposite, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And mm -hmm. so, um, I find, and I found that, um, people who work the 12 steps have deep spiritual, have deep, have a deep understanding of what surrender means because we've been beaten into submission, mm -hmm. most of us. And that is, that is huge. You know, I have to say, taking that, taking the lens of a 12 step program, approaching Krishna through the lens of the 12 steps bring is something um, that brings the essence of bhakti, the essence of service, the essence of meditation, japa, whatever meditation you're doing, the essence of improving yourself, the essence of spiritual hygiene, and brings it all to some 12 simple steps um, with, you know, practices. It all, it's all about the footwork, just like bhakti all about the footwork mm -hmm. you know you get what you give that's what it is it's like it's seriously a mirror so simplifying bhakti for 12 steppers is important because you know having to study the vedas and figuring all of that stuff out that's years and years and years and the other way around when bhakti is coming to the 12 steps and this is the thing this is the thing right now. If you don't have a 12-step lens, if you just come into bhakti and you are just and you have these disturbing addictions. Yeah. Now let's take a brahmachari. That bar is really high. You're up at two. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know you're going, you know, you're you're doing the morning program, you're doing everything. Yeah. And you got the four regs for for a 19-year-old boy, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. You know, uh, to say the least, you know, and, and, and these days, uh, pornography is free, right? It's free. You can just get it anywhere, you know? So, so that bar is really high and that bar is a beautiful bar, but a 12 step program teaches us that we need to work our program, forgive ourselves and keep striving and not, and it gives us a sustainable way to approach a sustainable, practical, tangible way to approach the practical parts of spirituality. Mm -hmm. I don't believe spirituality is something up here. Spirituality is really a hands-on thing. Right. You know, being spiritual doesn't mean like, Oh my God, you know, I can think my way into Christian love. It doesn't work like that. You fall in love with Krishna, but then the honeymoon period is over. And then you're like, oh my God, I got to do my 16 rounds. <laughs> deal, with, deal with the demons that may be there yes. in the closet. Yes. And so, you know, sometimes lowering the bar, it's like this. So if you have somebody coming in who is an addict, who's a devotee, let's say someone coming in from the devotee community, they're an yeah. addict. 
they're hiding a lot of them you know, a lot of people that we have you know that other people don't know but you know they may be drinking or they have sporadic you know binge drinking or sure. they still smoke weed or you know whatever it is we have people you know even on methadone that are you know devotees right so it's you know it's um then we have just regular codependent people who have never touched a drug or seen a drug, you know, um, but sp specifically those with multiple dysfunctions. And I don't mean dysfunctions in a societal way. I'm talking about spiritual dysfunctions. I'm talking about the stuff that keeps us away from Krishna. Anything that keeps us away from Krishna is dysfunctional. Anything. And right. if you have an addict mind, you're going to use anything you can. It's a whack-a-mole. So you got your drugs and alcohol under control. You for sure will probably be watching Netflix all the time or this or that. And you're putting out fires and you're putting out fires and you're trying to do this and you're chanting, chanting, chanting. You're reading, reading, reading. And in the middle, you're watching Netflix and you're doing this. And you're going nuts because you can't recover. We need the space to recover. We need the space to be able to walk forward into Krishna consciousness with a sustainable way of doing it because not everybody can do it. Right. They just can't. And there's no shame in the game. There's no shame in that at all. It's freeing to finally say, okay, the bar is too high, but I want to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be there. It, it re this is really interesting. Um, I want to, I want to ask you kind of like, a use case could be someone approaches this bhakti recovery group and they let's say they have some type of like what what would what would i what characteristics would i have which which i would say okay i need the i need to be a part of this brg honesty open mindedness and willingness and a compulsion or an obsession to do something that you know is going to really mess with you. I feel like we all have that. <laughs> yes, but you know, I've always said the whole world needs a 12-step program. The, right. the whole world needs it. Right. It just needs it. But some, you know, some things are tougher than others. We have people just there for cigarettes. Who are devotees. Every single person is valued. It's not like you have to be a drug addict. I think a lot of people shy away from them. Like, oh my God, like I'm not a drug addict. I never did drugs. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's- the... I've seen people bottom out on codependency like you do not believe. People ready to kill themselves because they've so much pain. Right. Pain, suffering from childhood trauma, from being from horrible, you know, very, not horrible. I don't like to say that. Very sick, sick families, you right. know, who have given their- dysfunction onto the others, you know, and it, may, and it gets in the way of their life and it gets in the way of Krishna. Anything that gets in the way of Krishna is not useful. And that's why working a program, having your sadhu sangha, oh, keeping it green, knowing in, for, in the foreground, this is, you know, admitting, admitting that, that we are powerless, not helpless, because we're here. That's why we're not helpless, but that we're powerless to fight that alone. Wow. You know. So the person, like more practically, so the person says, I want to be part of BRG. Okay, then what, what's the first, what happens? Practically what happens? They just come to a meeting. All our meetings are open. Anyone can come to the meeting. If they want to stay anonymous, you just don't turn your camera on. 
and say, you know, it, it would be nice to introduce yourself. At least, you know, you have to write on the board, like I'm, you know, I would like to stay anonymous. So it's you like know, a Zoom. It's like a Zoom. It's Zoom. It's all Zoom. Oh, we don't it's all Zoom. Okay. We don't have any in-person meetings yet. We're we're right. we're getting there. We're getting there. That's okay. that's that's the next the next. So thing. they so you you're part of this meeting. Uh, you can be anonymous, and then what happens at the meetings? So the format is very much like any other twelve-step program, except for the fact that we read 15 minutes of 12-step literature like this book like that's what i do each meeting is different we read na literature in some meetings aa literature in other meetings aca meet that's adult children sex anonymous all of them and the sex anonymous meetings are men that's the men's meeting on tuesdays mm -hmm. um and then we read 15 minutes of any kind of scriptures from Prabhupada. so I'm doing now, uh, or it doesn't necessarily have to be. I'm doing one from Chitta Swami now. I'm doing reflections from Chitta Swami mm. on the Wednesdays. And when we're through with that, we'll go to another book. We've done Nectar of Devotion, Nectar of Instruction. We've done, we do the Gita. We haven't done um, the Bhagavatam. I do not feel qualified to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, we keep it just, you know, simple. And so everyone there are is related to Bhakti. They've been introduced to Bhakti before. Is that right? Yeah, mostly. And some just just a little bit. Some people oh, just okay. like just like they heard it on Wisdom the Sages or a friend okay. told them about it. And so it's it's a mixed crowd. It's a very we have like year-long devotees, and then we have like newbies, and then we have like like really long people in AA and NA who come, who've just discovered bhakti right. and are totally interested, you know. Do you ever so. run into issues with, okay, I've, like, for example, if someone, you said years has been in Krishna consciousness, they might feel like the person who just got in contact with it doesn't have the same experiences that I have had. So why should I open myself up here or, or have some reluctancy to do that? Well, See, that's the thing. We look for the similarities and not the differences. I see. So if you're willing to come and you want help, you have to be open-minded to come. You know, mm -hmm. like I'm not like I'm definitely not the person to convince somebody we're here and we're doing what we do. And, you know, I, I do my service and I love I would love for a million people to be at the meeting. Um, but it has to be, and that's the thing, healing and recovery and deepening, deepening your, your deepest soul to Krishna, um, is something that has to be completely willing. Mm -hmm. The person has to be completely willing on their open to that kind of thing. You know, some people and don't like it. Some people, some people think talking about stuff like that is just negative and they don't like it. I don't see it that way. Right. You know? I remember because um, I lived at the Bhakti Center uh, for a few years in the ashram, and I remember they were hosting AA meetings there. Uh, and I remember one of the things was that everyone would go around and say something. Is that also what they oh, do? Right, yeah. So, sorry, we, I got off on a tangent again. That's <laughs> okay. <laughs> so sorry. Okay, so minutes of of 
of AA literature, then we read 15 minutes of whatever, and then we spend the last half hour sharing. Mm -hmm. So we share, we say, uh, I usually just say, my name is Jiva. I am a grateful recovering devotee in recovery, right? Um, and everyone speaks for three to five minutes, their experience, their strength, and their hope. Um, we don't like to hear drugologues. We don't like to hear sexologues. We don't do that. We talk about what we read, how it relates to us in our lives, how we apply it in our lives, right? And, and, and how we can give it to the next person. Because if I keep that information to myself, it's useless. It's useless. I remember the time when I figured out why I was so freaking miserable because I was selfish. Because what I wanted was to get better and I wanted to see what I could get. What can I get out of a meeting? What can I get out of a meeting? And I couldn't get any more of a meeting. It never dawned on me to say, what can I give? I always was a giver, but not like now. I'm born to serve. Like that is the biggest joy of my life is to serve. That's what I'm born for. Actually, I just had my charts done and it said the same thing. So. Wow. <laughs> That's cool. Um, so someone who may be a devotee, they might think, I just haven't perfected my, you know, my chanting or my uh, following of the principles and I'm getting there. So why do I need, why would I need something like this when in fact, they do need it, and this is so amazing, and I love it. But they, but it, but you know, there's that there's that philosophical thing where it's like Krishna conscious, you know, sadhana that will fix everything, that will fix everything. So why yeah, do we need this? Type, why would until we need it, this type of thing? Yeah, until it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, until it doesn't. You know, it's and and it, it is like that, and that's that's the thing too, where I say like, you know, I'm like old school in that way, where I'm like, okay. Um, so keep doing what you're doing. Come back when you're ready, mm. you know, keep doing what you're doing. T tell me how that's working out for you. You know, um, we encourage each other. We have so many WhatsApp chats. It's unreal. Like we have like the Joppa chat. We've got like uh Bajan chat. We have, you know, just a regular chat. We have the info chat. We have a codependent chat. We have women's chats and men's chats. So, you know, we're, we are very close knit community and we are very open and warm and we love to have newcomers. You know, the newcomer is a very important person at every meeting, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it's safe. It's anonymous. We will not uh, like what is in the meeting stays in the meeting. What you hear here, who you see here stays here. That's what right. we say. Right. And everyone respects that. Mm -hmm. How many people are part of the Bhakti recovery group right now? So that's hard to say because you know how it is also in just in bhakti. People come and go. Yeah. And especially when it gets to the real, the real, the real dirt work, when you're, when you're, you know, when you're digging, a lot of people tend to leave because they don't want to do the work. Mm. And I get it. Um, in our chat, we have 150 people in our chat. But <laughs> I would say we have a steady group of 30 and a not steady group of another 20. So it's about 50 people who are 
there and others who are just kind of they just show up sometimes and then not and you know learning what they need to learn feeling it out i mean everyone's free to come and go as you please no judgments you know we don't judge we talk about our own experience strength and hope there's no one going to be like oh you didn't chant your 16 rounds like you know most of us are like i i can't chant one round without making offenses within the first the first the first time my mouth opens chanting i make an offense because my head is somewhere else constantly mm. fake it till you make it right um it's my own lack of understanding of the 12 step program but how does these meetings especially i'm i'm interested remote meetings how does that help someone overcome their addiction so we work the steps so we have this is very specific um program with a specific motive on working the steps and working these steps um so grab grab the 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 brg steps yeah i got the steps here i can i can put it on the screen even let's go through that Let me yeah put my reading my like stronger glasses on they're too big <laughs> share okay here we go okay so this is um this is basically what you would need to know um so the bhakti recovery group leads the way into a newfound life these 12 steps are the very found these 12 steps are the foundation of our program our experience shows that when we work these steps with a sponsor come to meetings on a regular basis help other sick and suffering soul we do recover we ask krishna to help us fully surrender to this program and to practice these principles in all of our affairs now what i mean is when we practice these principles in all of our affairs that means remember what i said before we're in here doing this work we're in a sadhu sangha we go to temple whatever it is that we do to connect right with krishna um this program is not for the moment this program is to take and practice in life just like bhakti yoga just like being a householder mm -hmm. right we don't want to just be you know be spiritual while we're at a meeting and talk about spiritual stuff we want to take all of this and practice it in all of our affairs mm -hmm. and i have a question so, here what does this mean here work these steps with a sponsor okay so we have you'll see the steps underneath here the okay. one through 12. um so a sponsor is somebody who has a longer time in the program as you do somebody who can who has worked the steps themselves with us with their sponsor it's kind of like a guru disciplic thing as well in a in a in a way mm -hmm. and um someone to take you through the steps we have like step work guides we go thoroughly there's like all different ways of working the steps so when we work the first step it's basically we try to find out if we really have admitted that we are powerless over our addictions and associated behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable so by working with a sponsor let's say you're the newcomer and you come in and you want to work the steps you ask someone so basically things you you know there's always someone you relate to more than others right mm -hmm. so it's always suggested same sex so if i want you know if i see let's say i see someone in the meetings and I, she says some really great stuff and she has something i want she has something in her recovery that i want 
Yeah. This is, this is the person I would ask. I would go and say, I really love what you're sharing. Could you please be my sponsor and take me through the steps? Mm -hmm. And if you're in the program long enough and you don't, and you don't have like an amazing amount of like an overwhelming amount of sponsees, you got, you have to say yes. You can't say no. Mm -hmm. You don't have to, but it's like our duty, you know, to give freely what has been given so freely to us. So that's Mm -hmm. what that means. Now, whether, you know, traditionally when AA first came out, the only like written step work was step four. And this is going to be loud. But (laughs) now, you know, these days we have all kinds of step workshops and step work books for each step to go into them really deeply. Oh, okay. So when, so for example, the first step we admitted, we have, we were powerless over our addictions and associated behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable. So Mm -hmm. when you're saying that you're on this, can you say like, I'm on the first step? Yes. Okay. So then, and when you say making this practice, putting this practically into our lives, what does it mean in context of this first step? Like, for example. Right. So, I mean, not every step is going to be something that you can practice, but this one okay. is, Okay. this one is. So, well, no, that's not true. You can practice all of these in, in, in your daily life. Yeah. So when we admit we are powerless over addictions and associated behaviors and our lives have become unmanageable, it's very simple. It's very, very simple. How many times do we, let's say we've surrendered to the fact we admitted that we're powerless over drugs and alcohol, right? We want to be loving people, right? So let's say that part is done, but we go out and we act like a jerk to people or we do we road rage or we do things. It's basically we always have to admit that we're controlled by our feelings, controlled by our obsessions, controlled by our emotions, and that in that moment you're powerless to do something about it. And it makes your life unmanageable. It makes perhaps your life unmanageable with your maybe with your main addiction, you know, the 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 life unmanageable, you know, like my, I would say like in my early recovery, I road raged a lot and didn't really make my life unmanageable, but I was definitely power powerless over that. It just ticked me off, you know? So it, would it be that you're kind of becoming more conscious of yes. w- what things are be- making your life unmanageable? Absolutely. I see. Okay. And when I work with my sponsees, I tell them to write a list about stuff like that. What did you experience today? We take like one week. What did you experience today? Where, where where did you act like you didn't want to act? Where were you not the person you wanted to be? Mm -hmm. Where did you feel completely helpless? Where did you feel that you, that you, you know, that things were out of control, you know, and then we try to, then we get to that and then further we, and it just, just goes on. So the thing is, if the first step is not done, that's the foundation. The others will not help. It's in the way this is the most, this is the most fundamental step because your, your program will be built on this, how much you are surrendered. Mm-hmm. And so, okay, this, this is, uh, I mean, like, each of these are are like you can explain it. You can, like you said, it's uh, you can peel it back so much. Uh, they're yes. very fascinating. Onions, onions. Yeah, 
Um, for example, number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Now, practically, what does that look like practically? So that looks like you make a list of people you have resentments with because this is the big thing about resentments. Resentments will get in the way of our spiritual life. Resentments is poison. Mm -hmm. They're poison. So I'm mad at, let's say I'm mad at George. What did George do? George stole 10 bucks for me. I mean, I'm just, this is an example, right? And then you have the next box. Um, um, what did it make me, how did I react? How did it make me feel? And then what my part is it in it was. Oh, I see. So you will see that a sponsor has been around for a while. What we're looking for is what I'm looking for with my sponsee is that red string that goes through all of it. I'm not really looking for the details and really what happened. I'm looking, you'll always see there's fear and anger. You'll always see that beside under all those things, actually it's, it's, it's fear of not getting what we want or fear of losing something we already have. That's usually behind everything on the fourth step. And that kind of stuff creates bad resentments. We hang on to them, you know, that, that hasn't, yeah. Resentments haven't been, yeah. Resentments are something that is deadly for an alcoholic. It will keep, it will get you get out there drinking again. A resentment. Will yes. Get you out too. Very dangerous. That's why we really need to, this is like a, this is like purification. This process is a purification process. So we go, we admit we're powerless. We admit also that there's a power greater than ourselves in step two, Krishna for us in BRG. And that power can restore us to sanity, right? Yeah. Then this is a really important one. The third one made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of Krishna as we understand Krishna. So this means you can do this every day, every second of every day. Mm. If I make a decision, it's not one and done. That is definite not one and done. If I'm going to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to Krishna, you know, this is, I could do this constantly. The moment I say, I want, I'm going to, I'm planning. I want this. I'm going to do that. We could do that and we can act on our, of course, but we have to also know that we are not the drivers here. Krishna will, we're not the drivers. Krishna is the driver. So, yeah. And so. And then so we let's, say, go like, through, let's go through the other ones, like the way yeah. you're just doing that. I love that. Okay, good. Um, so now, so now we're at the, at the, at the fourth step. So in it's practiced from the, the first three steps. It's called, we came right in the first, we mm -hmm. came to like, we woke up in the second, and then we came to believe, which is the third step. Right. So. Now you have that kind of basis, this one, two, three basis, which is like, it's a little practice. You know, we're doing this, we're, we're coming aware, you know, we're trying to give our will life over to Krishna. You feel like you're hanging on to something. No, no, wait a second. No, no, I don't want to hang on to this. I can do the footwork, but I'm not responsible for the results. The results are up to Krishna. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then we make a four step, which means this is a cleansing process. 
like told, we just talked about how that is, right? Yes, yes. And the important thing is is our our part in it, and we want to see the commonality in every situation because there's always going to be one character defect that's constantly one trigger. It's always like one or two triggers. The whole thing is just one or two triggers for each person. <laughs> Excuse me. The fifth step. <clears throat> we admit it to Krishna, <coughs> to ourselves and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. This is like confession. Mm. So we take the four step and we go through that with our sponsor. And our sponsor listens. And our and as a sponsor, you're <clears throat> you're looking for those commonalities in your fourth step. And it's important because those are the things that are going to trigger them. And this is the cleansing process. We need to cleanse those things. We need to see what our part is in it. We need to see how we can act differently. Like, oh, okay, there's here the situation's coming up again. I'm starting to feel angry. Why? Can you give a simple example of that? <clears throat> a really good example would be a family matter. Okay. So let's say you're going to your mom's house for dinner and she starts nagging at you again. And it's something that you've experienced over and over again. You flip. You break a pot, you do something, and you storm out of the house. So <clears throat> before something like that happens, you've done the fourth and fifth with your sponsor. Your sponsor has told you, okay, you are resent resentment with your mom because she does this and this and this, and this triggers your this and this and this and this. So when we know what's triggering us, we tend to think about acting differently. But that comes with the other steps. You have to work the steps first in order for it to really work. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Okay. Interesting. <clears throat> so now we have, uh, we were entirely ready to have Krishna remove these defects of character. So this is when, this is like, this is what they say. This separates the boys from the men. So there are a lot of character defects that we don't want to get rid of, right? There are things that we don't want to get rid of. There are things that served us or that we like tamasic somethings, whatever it is, you know? So when you're entirely ready to have Krishna remove all these decisions of character, you're basically just opening yourself up and saying, okay, um, purify me, mm. you know? And all the steps led to that. Yes, because we've previously of that. Yeah. Them, we've addressed them. We've talked about it with someone else. Right. We did it in front of God. We did it in front of our sponsor. We did this. We got shame out of the way. We got guilt out of the way. We looked at our triggers. We did all this. And now we're taking all that ugly stuff and we're having, we're ready. Our hearts are ready to have Krishna remove that from wow. us. And then we have the seventh step, which is we humbly asked Krishna to remove our shortcomings which means being ready and then ask him to is, is a very different thing. <clears throat> we become ready. And then we start going into detail with each one. So this means when we get in, this means for almost every one of us, thick headed addicts, 
when we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings, it's usually after we've done something stupid. <laughs> mm. And we keep seeing this pattern of like doing this stupid thing over and over again. And the only way we're going to be able to, we don't know what we don't know. So if we're knowledgeable about what's going to make us act in a certain way, right? We haven't, that's when we become um, not helpful. Uh, that's when we be, we can, we're not powerless anymore. We're not helpless anymore. That's when we can address the issues and go farther. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, now this is really great. Now here we go with the real cleansing stuff. Okay. So we got, uh, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. So this could mean so much depending. I mean, it's also like, depending if you're like a junk, if you were like a, an addict, a recovering addict or a recovering alcoholic or codependent, a typical one for an addict would be like, I stole like a thousand bucks from my mom or, or something like that. Right. So you have to make that list of every person you harmed, every person that you feel guilty about, any person that you've done wrong to, even if they've done wrong to you, doesn't matter. Your part in it. And we learned that in the fourth step. What is your part in it? Because right. most of the people who are on your fourth step will probably be on your eighth step as well. Mm. So, wow. yeah. So, um, yeah. And this is the thing. A lot of people get very scared of this step. Most people are terrified of this step. Yeah, because you don't want to... You don't want to, so the person might not even know, or right? Sometimes it's like they don't even know Absolutely. that you're that you feel like that's towards them or something, right? And that's why, and that's really great you said that because this is just the list, and then you go over the list with your sponsor or someone you trust, mm -hmm. and they will tell you what's a, a go and what's a no go. So we have the ninth step made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others, which oh. means. Let's say <clears throat> Harry slept with with uh, Bob's wife. No one ever knew except for Bob's wife and Harry. Right. He's not going to go to Harry and be like, "I'm sorry, I slept with your wife." Right. That would that would cause more harm. That's, that doesn't work. You you can't do stuff like that. You have to you have to figure out how you're going to deal with that somehow. You know, or you. You know, and there's certain things like if you stole from someone who's 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 now dead and you can't give them the money. And let's say that person loved that person died of breast cancer. So the money that you owe them, you donate to breast cancer organization. That's right. kind of how we do that. I see. So 10, we continue to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So this is really great. So this is sort of like the continuation of a four step. At the end of the day, we take a little inventory, a mini one. We say like, okay, today, dog, uh, I didn't, uh, you know, um, I didn't, uh, I spoke rudely to my husband or whatever, you know, and uh, then we promptly admitted it and apologized, you know. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's also a big one. This is 11th, the 11th step. This is sought through prayer and the chanting of the holy names to improve our conscious contact with Krishna, praying only for knowledge of Krishna's will for us and the power to carry that out. 
And that's what I was talking about before with the third step, right? The third step of saying, okay, I'm going to give my will and my life over to Krishna, right? Here, you're doing that through prayer, through meditation, through all of that stuff. And, and you're praying not for what you want. You're praying for what Krishna wants for you and that you get the power to carry that out. You're not praying for a lighter load. You're praying for a stronger back for whatever Krishna is going to give you. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Then we have 12. Having had a spiritual awakening and as a, as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to those seeking recovery and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Yeah. And then I can just finish with this, but this is going on for a long time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is great. I... I... <laughs> This is, I feel like this could help. I have another, I have a follow-up question, but uh, let's do this first. Okay. Um, I guess we can summarize this. This uh, this is just something after the 12 steps that it explains um, a little bit more yeah. about that. Yes. It's just, it's kind of like when you come into the BRG, this is kind of what. I see. This is what we do. This is what we are. I like this idea. We are born into this body with this diseased condition. This is our karma. We are not responsible for our disease, but we are responsible for our recovery. We fully accept this fact and work with what we have been given. Yes. I think a lot of this has to do with just a lot of like acceptance and like Absolutely. conscious and conscious being conscious of these, uh, you know, that I really love the taking inventory thing. I think that's really valuable. Because because I think a, a struggle or maybe some um, something devotees might have a hard time understanding with this is like oh this is only for for people who have had Jiva's story like yeah not like, <laughs> like this like extreme you know uh, amazing extreme story but this is not for me but I think that that that's not the case right because this is like for, so tell can you just kind of Tell me, why is this for people who are not just your your case, but for even other things? Um, because it gives us a chance to grow spiritually in a kind and loving way at the pace that's right for us and gives us the chance to have tools to learn to stick with Krishna you know, and to learn humility. Everybody needs humility. Yes. To learn acceptance. Everybody needs acceptance. To learn that we are not our character defects. To learn that we like to strive to be better, better people. To learn that we need to do service and give these things farther to other people who are sick and suffering. You know, um, and that real love of Krishna starts with surrender. And someone who may have been initiated in the movement for 30 years, they can still take part in this because totally. it's every, it, this plagues, like this can plague anybody. It's not that you, if you are totally. a devotee for that long, you're, you're automatically, you're like exempt from, from addiction or something that maybe, like you said, something that's keeping us away from Krishna. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what we're either walking towards Krishna or walking away from Krishna. It is kind of that simple, you know, and I, I'm saying all of this stuff and I wrote all of this stuff, right? but I'm not, I'm not perfect. Sure. I'm, I'm a BRG member too, even right. though I've 
you know, even though I, I was inspired to do this, it's not like, <laughs> like I'm talking like from a podium. No, no, I, I, I just, I don't feel like you are, I don't feel here. like you are, but thanks for, you know, yeah. clearing that up. But I don't feel like you are. I mean, that this is, I mean, your whole story is just like amazing that you, you know, you've been clean 25 years and now you're helping other people to do that. It's, it's just really, um, I'm in awe, to be honest. Um, wow. Yeah, it's all Krishna, not me. Really. You know, it's it's funny because I hear something often like, oh my God, you know, you you came, you know, you came out, you worked, you worked so hard and you came out of this, you know, thing and you just pulled yourself up by the whatever and blah, blah. And I, you know, I, I appreciate everyone's appreciation to a certain degree, but it's kind of like, I feel like I'm getting patted on the back for running out of a burning building, which every sane person would do at some point. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, I ran out of a burning building, of course, you know, like, <laughs> right. and, you know, Krishna was there. So it's not me. Yeah. But for the grace of God, there I am. That's it. Nothing more. Wow. Do you want to say anything more about what's on the screen here before I take it off and um, ask you some other questions? Um, anything else no, to highlight I mean, here I, in these two paragraphs, perhaps? Which ones? In the, in the last two paragraphs, anything else to highlight? Um, I would say... Um, you read the we have taken birth in the age of Kali. We are especially did did you read no you didn't read No, that, I didn't okay. I didn't read that. We can read that. Okay. We who we, have we, taken yeah, we who have taken birth in this age of Kali are especially prone to the never ending pursuit of material sense enjoyment in its extreme. Repeatedly we continue this cycle of insanity, expecting different results. Bound and blinded by Maya, powerless over the threefold miseries, we ran around life trying to fill that God sized hole with material sense enjoyment. But the results were always the same pain, devastation, and for some of us, even death. Yeah. That's our, it's like our philosophy. Like, this is all our philosophy just put into uh, like a really, I feel like an attractive way people can kind of relate to if they're struggling mm -hmm. with something. And I think, and everyone's struggling with something. Yeah, absolutely. 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 It depends on the person's want and need to get better. No one's a hundred percent. Nobody. Yeah. And even if it's only two percent missing from being completely self, you know, realize, realized, yeah. there's still room. <clears throat> yeah. Um, what are your I guess what are your future goals with all of this? Like what's what's on the horizon? Okay. Great question. Um, the horizon is this. Um, I would love to be able to have in-person meetings all over the world, mm. everywhere. I'm encouraging people to to start in-person meetings at their local, wherever they are. Um, it's a bit difficult now. Uh, well, it's a bit difficult probably because there's, you know, we have so many people spread out all over the world. We have people tuning in from India, from England, from Germany, from uh, New York, from Cali, from New Zealand from Australia. So we've got like little wow. bits everywhere, but we don't have like a cluster of people in one area, not yet. Mm -hmm. So getting that out. Um, I'm writing a book now too. So. Oh, wow. That's exciting. So, yeah. I'm very, very looking, very much looking forward to it. It'll be 
a very similar book to the Narcotics Anonymous book as far yeah. as uh, the structure goes, and probably around that that size, something like this. Um, yeah, and to serve Guru, I want to serve Guru. I want to serve. This is Radha Swami says. This is a dream come true for him, and I want to make that dream come true for him. I want to make That's that dream amazing. come true for him. Amazing. Um, I I want to ask you one last question about um, someone who may be a devotee, and they um, they might feel ashamed to to bring up these things to to someone even in the group. And I say, you know. I know you said it's anonymous and there's all that stuff, mm -hmm. but still there can be some, some real shame in, in, in these issues and keeping them quiet and stuff. So mm -hmm. what would you say if someone came to you and, 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 and said that I'm a devotee for uh, you know, long time, I'm a long time devotee, but, but I can't join this because uh, you know, my, my reputation's on the line or I feel ashamed about things. You really want to hear my answer to that? It's a little bit fresh. I'm all for it. <laughs> you can't save your face and your ass at the same time. <laughs> wow. That's probably what I would say. <laughs> That's something people need to hear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, come on, you know, it's if you really want help and you really need help, then you're going to go get that help. It's not like you can sit there in the ocean drowning, choosing the color of your lifeboat. Like, oh, no, that one's orange. I don't want that one. And I don't want that. Mm -hmm. You know, at some point, you're going to eat so much dirt that it doesn't matter what you're going to look like at some point. You got to, you know, if you're surrendered and you want help, you'll do anything. Anything. And even if you're not at that point, all you got to do is, like I said, all we need is to be honest, open-minded, and willing. So what I would say to the person that's maybe in between, who's not maybe suffering as much as someone, you know, having a horrible bottom like I did, I would probably just tell them, <clears throat> just come. You don't have to speak. You don't have to say anything. Just come and listen. Come for, you know, come for at least 10 meetings and listen and see what happens. And then you can judge. But, you know, you don't have to delve in right away. Just come and hang. Right. This also brings it to my mind, like we may see devotees all the time, but everyone may be, people may be like fighting wars behind their face of just, totally. you know, happy, Hare Krishna, this is good. But behind the scenes, like so much going on. Yeah. That's why I think this is so important also, like yes. it can help them with that, you know, that war that everyone's fighting behind the scenes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would really love to have that, give that service to the devotee world, to our movement, because I, I see so much of that. And I also see so much of suffering um, and shame and, um, and there's no reason to be ashamed and there's no reason to suffer. Mm -hmm. you know? Pain, pain is inevitable, but suffering is definitely a choice. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, another thing that was brought to my mind is I know like the shame can be like if someone's initiated and has made someone certain vows and they're not able to keep their vows. I know that I've read letters from Prabhupada where Prabhupada knew someone had done something wrong or had done something bad, but he said, you know, no matter that you did that or whatever, just try to do better. And he wasn't, there was not this like black and whiteness of like, okay, now you're 
now you're bad and now you're thro- we're, you're not part of our movement and you're you're you know you're horrible person etc there's a i think there's a certain um awareness of devotees that need to have devotees need to have that like okay you may be initiated and you may have done wrong things but that doesn't mean that you're a horrible person it just means you're a human and we've all have our like you said in that those paragraphs we're diseased and yeah uh, welcome to kali man dude (laughs) yeah yeah. I love it. I, I I'm so honored to meet you. This is has been oh, a yeah, fascinating I'm so talk. honored to meet you. You're so sweet. You're so you're like this pure sweet soul. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> um so for those of you who want to get in touch with Jiva, um, I'm just gonna I just want you to tell us a little bit about um I know there's some retreats coming up as well as your yeah. how to get in touch with you website, etc. So let's start here. Uh BhaktiRecoveryGroup.com. This is your website of how uh, someone yes. can get in touch with a recovery group. Yes, yes. There's a meetings list there. Um, okay. And by the way, all the meetings are free. We don't. Oh yeah, know. yeah. I was going to ask about that. Okay, amazing. You know, and the retreats also um, is donation based. Um, everyone's responsible for room and board. You know, I'm. You know, it's not like. And I, I host these retreats. Um, in person retreats. Live... Yes. Yes. Oh. Cool. And the first one is at Super Soul Farm by Ragu. Um, um, October 4th through the 7th. Oh, the wow. 7th, 4th through 7th. And that information's on, on this page website. Yeah, it's getting there. It's getting there. Okay. It's on my Instagram as well. You can oh, yeah, look at Bhakti Recovery that. Group Instagram. Yeah. Instagram handle, uh, Bhakti Recovery Group for those listening on just audio at B-H-A-K-T-I-R-E-C-O-V-E-R-Y group, uh, Bhakti Recovery Group on Instagram. Yes. Awesome. And then you also have um, jivagcoaching.com. Tell us a little bit about that. I do. Um, You know, being a sponsor is often really not enough. And then some people really need to be able to delve deep. And a lot of people also, you know, most of my clients come to me uh, with unmanageability in their lives. A lot Mm -hmm. of, you know, a lot of attention deficit um like myself and um i've worked through a lot of that stuff lived and worked through all of that um sour relationships uh codependency all that kind of stuff and um you know people having drinking problems who don't like aa or big group meetings they they don't they don't there are just some people who don't find their recovery and so they come to me and and i coach them you know and uh yeah, that's uh, that's just like my business, my private business. Okay, cool, wonderful. Well, um, it's been a pleasure. I mean, we're we're almost hitting two hours. I didn't think it was gonna go, but this has been just so fascinating. I've been, I feel so <laughs> inspired and enlivened, and just relieved that there is something like this that exists. And this is all to your um, credit. And I really, really appreciate what you're doing. And I. I, I, I'm, I'm hope that you grow it exponentially and just scale it huge and help all the devotees and, and help, um, just people who are suffering, all devotees who are suffering. Cause I know devotee, just cause you're a devotee doesn't mean you don't suffer, but like you yeah, said, absolutely. it g- give you a stronger back to face what may be coming your way or what you're, what you're, um, dealing <clears throat> with at the moment. Uh, I think that's so a lot of amazing stuff that was said here today. Um, so 
if you want to get in touch with Jiva, please uh, check her out on Instagram. I'm sure you can just DM you there, Bhakti Recovery Group. Absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> Absolutely. Well, um, well, thank you, Jiva, again for, for joining. Thank you so much. Group. And please, yeah. this is all glorious to Prabhupada, all glorious yes. to Guru, yes. and uh, and to all of you beautiful people out there that, okay. um, you know, thank you so much. Stay, stay on. I'm just going to turn off the recording. Hare Krishna, sure. everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Hare Bowl. Hare Bowl. Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare.